the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the Andrea Kay Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for Andrea Kay, but I always make the joke that if you've met me, that description refers almost identically to me as well. So thank you so much for joining us to our on our Thanksgiving edition. And Thanksgiving is pretty much what we're doing tonight. The reason is not just the usual reasons, friends, family, faith. But having made it almost through hashtag 2020, and we are still going. So that is an accomplishment in and of itself. We have proven that we are resilient. We maybe weren't ready, but we have pretty much adapted to the life as we know it. I hesitate to say the new normal because there's nothing normal about it. And we hope that it's certainly going to go away sooner rather than later once we have a vaccine. But yes, I'm talking about the new way in which we view Thanksgiving this year. So I hope whatever you have planned, whether it's socially distanced, whether it's within your own family, no matter how many people are gathering in your home, that you have a blessed Thanksgiving. So God bless all of you. But I do have to talk about something that is still going on in the country. As most of the country is officially moving from polls to poultry, lawsuits are continuing recounts are continuing. In fact, if you watch the news today, One American News carried a hearing that went on for hours in Pennsylvania talking about the voting irregularities in that state. And so there is still this this sort of sense hanging over the nation that these recounts that are continuing, these lawsuits that are continuing, are not simply going to stop because most people have acknowledge the the transition is occurring. In fact, even the president, to some extent, has released some money to facilitate a smooth transition in power because the president, who, by the way, was on the phone today when Rudy Giuliani and his other lawyers were arguing the case in Pennsylvania, even he has acknowledged that at the end of the day, if none of these lawsuits have legs, if none of them are successful, that he will be the first one to facilitate a smooth transition of power as well. But as we all know, following his career over the years, he may not be a lawyer, but he sure is a litigator. He is not afraid from lawsuits, whether he's a plaintiff or whether he's a defendant. Um, and before I bring on my next guest, one of the also uh, one of the things that's come up today um, in Pennsylvania during the lawsuit that was televised, as well as some of the others that were filed last week and and supposedly are going to be filed through the end of this week, is this is not an attempt to overthrow some sort of an election result. In fact, 
One of the things that we also have to recognize is these lawsuits are to correct election results. That's the gist of the lawsuits. Whether you agree with the merits or not, that's what the lawsuits are about. In other words, just because the media let the horse out of the barn doesn't mean that this is the horse America chose. That's the basis of the lawsuits. At least understand that regardless of what your politics are. Now, this is fascinating to me as a lawyer, but it's frustrating as a voter. And part of the frustration has to to do with the fact that the court of public opinion, they reached a verdict very early on uh, the morning after the election, but they don't get to judge this case. In fact, they're not even entitled to see the evidence. But the press conference we all watched last week was put on precisely because despite the reality that lawyers don't have to show their hand before they get into a courtroom, this group of lawyers chose to do exactly that to rebut the false narrative. Now, false, I don't mean in terms of merits regarding what the lawsuits are finally going to show or not show, but false regarding the whether or not they have any evidence, because how would we know? We're the court of public opinion, and it sure is fun to you know talk about what we think or talk about what maybe might have happened or, or would happen. And, you know, my producer believes that if we stand up, we will get back to normal. But we refuse to say we must accept our new normal. Hashtag stop the steal. So thank you, Noah, for weighing in. But a lot of people feel that way. And the people that do feel that way have been following these lawsuits with great interest. You know, the, the sneak preview we saw during the press conference last week it was exactly that. It was a preview of what they say they can prove in court. We call that an offer of proof. There would be no way that those three lawyers would give the general public everything that they intended to prove. We feel already that that 90-minute press conference was a fire hose of facts. They were just going all over the place. We couldn't follow them, and you have to believe that it will be far better structured in a court of law. That was just for the court of public opinion. It was a teaser. But when they do finally present it in court, it will be a combination of merits and math. What do I mean by that? First of all, they have to have the evidence. That means the merits. They have to be able to show, as Sidney Powell talked about last week, they have to be able to show whether it's the software, whether it's the methods of counting, voting irregularities, that it will make enough of the difference to change the math, merits and math. That is what this has been about. And one last thing before I bring on our first guest, you don't even have to believe that it will change the math, but everybody agrees that election integrity is a basic American value. That's a bipartisan passion. Everybody wants to believe their vote's going to count. There shouldn't be one ballot found in a dumpster or in a box off to the side or counted incorrectly, not even one, much less as the lawyers are alleging thousands. So that is something that we can all agree on, that whether or not it changes the results of this election, we will all be better off in making sure that we've taken a very close look at where irregularities took place, at what those irregularities consisted of, and how do we prevent that type of thing, God forbid, from happening in the future. That is important and cherished to everyone. Uh, and by the way, these cases that I've been talking about that are in courtrooms right now, they are being fast-tracked. Operation Warp Speed doesn't just refer to the virus and vaccines. It also refers to the way these cases better be litigated because the magic date is December 14th. 
That's the date that the results will be certified. Not the state results. Those are already being certified. But that's when the Electoral College will speak. And then, of course, Inauguration Day is, is just the next month. So we may be enjoying good food, good family, and our faith tomorrow, Thanksgiving. But you can imagine those lawyers are going to be burning the midnight oil just like I do and like my first guest does. I'd like to welcome into the program Vic Bajaj. He's been a lawyer for 20 years. He has defended people accused of a crime. He has been in court both stateside and federally. I know him from the media because he and I both weigh in on some of these weighty issues that Americans care about. Vic, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Wendy. Pleasure to be on. Thanks again. And, you know, I know you're a friend of the show because I've heard uh, great reviews of how well you do every time you're on. So I'm it's just a blessing to have you join me on the eve of Thanksgiving. So I appreciate your time. Um, One of the other things that uh, I know you also are passionate about is politics, just like me. I mean, it's interesting that we are, we're passionate about the process. Um, many of us uh, hold different political ideologies but are still passionate about the process. Uh, and you and I as lawyers also know that there is a, a more that unites us than divides us. And as we think through the lens of what these lawsuits still mean, given the reality that most of the nation is moving on from polls to poultry, most of them gratifyingly so, having been literally living on pins and needles, and needles as these recounts continue, States are finally being called. What do you think about the merits of the lawsuits that remain? Not not the least of which is the one that Sidney Powell hasn't even filed yet. The one that she teased up during that fire hose of facts I referred to last week that's going to be filed on Friday. Do any of these have any chance of being successful? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when I think about the cases that are pending Uh, originating in states like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, like Wisconsin. You know, we don't look at the lower courts, Wendy, and say, well, the lower courts rejected the arguments, therefore they're dead in the water. That's not the reality. You know, as lawyers, we know that you need to work your way up through the appellate issues to get to the court that you believe is going to give you the final say. And whether that's on the state side, Superior Court in California to the appellate district, and then finally the Supreme Court of California, or it's the federal side of the district courts to the circuit courts and then to the Supreme Court, we know that there's no finality until there's finality. And what that means is these lower court decisions are no surprise to me. I don't think they're a surprise to anyone. So let's talk about what we're after as far as the final verdict. I think the circuit courts have wonderful justices that have been reshuffled and put in charge of different circuits, the important circuits, the ones that include Michigan, the ones that include Pennsylvania, the circuits that include other states, Wisconsin, that are tangential and pivotal for this election result. So what are the arguments? When we talk about the cases, I think it's important to have different compartments. And so I think the press conference last week with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani are very important. They really outline in stark clarity what the arguments are, Wendy. And on one side, you have the fraud, the corruption, which is part and parcel to the Dominion software. And that's what I'd call the Powell compartment. And that does not necessarily need to attach itself to the separation of powers issue, which I think is the crux of the president's personal legal team's arguments with the courts. I'm glad you brought that up. That is this. Mm -hmm. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Vic, because one of the questions that I've gotten all week long is this press release that went out a couple of days ago. And if you could summarize that and ju just maybe a, a soundbite or two, and then we'll talk about it on the other side of the break. But that press release that went out distancing with the White House basically said, you know, Sidney Powell is not a member of the president's legal team, nor does she represent the president in his personal capacity. Um, tease, tease this up for on the other side of the break, because this really had people talking. Well, absolutely, Wendy, and that's a great point. You know, Sidney Powell has never been a part of the president's personal team, and let's emphasize the word personal. She's been part of the litigation, which is, un which is discovering and unearthing these irregularities and potential corruption, but there's a lot to be made about ostracizing or removing her from the team. She was never part of that team, and the arguments that she is making are not necessary for the Trump's personal litigation team to move forward. So they're, they're mutually exclusive. They help each other, but they're not necessary to each other's success. Okay. I'm really glad you explained it that way because um, to, to not have an explanation like that, which makes perfect sense, really makes it look pretty bad for her. And I think a lot of people jump to her defense and say, you know, words matter. Read that press release a little carefully, um, a little more carefully than just sort of getting the, the idea that somehow the White House is distancing itself from anything she has to offer. So stick with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about this on the other side of the break. Uh, you are listening to the Andrea Kay Show. Uh, I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for Andrea Kay. And this is our pre-Thanksgiving issue. So stay with us. We will have more exciting talk in just a minute. Be sure to follow Andrea Kay on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea Kay. Spelled K-A-Y-E. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome. Welcome back. You are listening to the Andrea K Show. I am Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. We have Vic Bajaj with us on the line and we have been talking politics. What a surprise. Go figure. And we are also talking politics in terms of the uh, political objections that have been made after Election Day. And gosh, it seems like yesterday we all remember this, right? We stayed up late. We Watch the results. Some of us stayed up all night because we were on the air. But the next morning, many people were very surprised at some of the developments that occurred overnight. And to that extent, we all remember that press conference last week, 90 minutes of uh, we'll call that an offer of proof of what the variety of lawyers we had, Jenna Ellis, we had Rudy Giuliani, we had Sidney Powell what they expect to see happen in courtrooms, which has been happening since. And we will also have some results coming out uh, once Sidney Powell files her next lawsuit on Friday. Um, but Vicky, you and I were talking about whether or not we thought these lawsuits had any legs. Are they going anywhere? Um, do, are they really going to make a difference as a practical matter in changing the votes? And we've referenced a couple of things, Dominion software, counting ballots, supervising the counting of all the different types of fraud and irregularity and everything in between that's been alleged by the various lawyers, what avenue do you suppose has the best chance of succeeding, or at the very least, carving out a path to go to the U.S. Supreme Court to be finally litigated there? 
I would say this falls under the umbrella of separation of powers. And whether that's under a particular state's governor's actions to change by a stroke of the pen, the way votes are tallied, the duration in which they are valid, or whether it's courts, such as in the state of Pennsylvania, by a judicial ruling changing the way votes are tabulated and the duration of those tabulations, these are all examples of the separation of power. And what I mean by that, Wendy, for all of our listeners is, you know, the legislative branch makes the law. We vote on the legislatures, and they're supposed to pen the law that we all as citizens are supposed to follow. What's not supposed to happen is the court systems are not supposed to dictate the law by their decisions. Then the governors and the executive branch are not supposed to pen the law in for all of our adherence and obeyance. So what's happened in, and let's just take Pennsylvania as an example, there were challenges to the mail-in vote process. There were challenges to the duration within which these votes could be counted and the extensions after November 3rd. And the Pennsylvania Supreme Court unilaterally said, hey, you know what? It's okay. I agree with what you said, governor and executive branch. We're going to allow the law to change to allow votes to be counted past what is otherwise constitutionally and legally mandated. Now, this is a great example for anyone in law school who wants a refreshment on the separation (laughs) of powers. And this is an issue that is also uniquely positioned to gain the attention of circuit courts and of eventually the Supreme Court of the United States. And that's because they are not as factually dependent as, let's say, for instance, an argument of corruption or deep-seated fraud with software that may have been used. These are issues that are simple to present. They are legally based on court precedent, and they can gain and garner good legal decisions without having the time and effort of depositions and affidavits and discovery to move forward, as we earlier discussed in the second compartment of challenges. So I believe this is what we're going to see, Wendy, and I believe for all our listeners, it's important to know that this issue is ripe. It's alive and well, and it is far from being decided in a final manner. You know, Pennsylvania, um, in Pennsylvania, a judge actually halted the election certification. And that's big news. You know, this is one of these, um, it's an order from Judge McCullough, and this basically came in the case that was brought by the Pennsylvania voters. And that's that's significant. It's a win for, obviously, for the Trump organization and the Trump administration, because remember, Pennsylvania, that's 20 electoral votes. So when you have these states that actually are, Uh, could be reversed in terms of the certification process at the very least. Uh, We wonder to ourselves, is it that far out of the frame of reality that if some of these cases actually did end up producing the kind of fraud or or, you know, changing of votes. I understand Dominion Software. There are people who came forward this week and made the, all the public statements, said all the right things. Software is fine. Votes are counted legally, et cetera, et cetera. But part of the problem, and, and I'd like to, to hear your, your, uh, your opinion on this, but part of the problem, at least in some of the ways in which votes were counted, that when an envelope was open, and Pennsylvania will take that as an example, because that's, as you say, where there was an order from a judge saying, yes, you can count them after Election Day, where only the legislature can make that decision. If you open ballots and then you commingle them with other ballots that were validly counted and validly received, 
timely, how do you unscramble the egg? How do you then go back? Is there a way to go back and actually see, well, which of the ballots that came in should have been counted, which one shouldn't have been? And I bring that up because you may recall that Justice Alito actually weighed in during the pendency of the vote and said, look, you have to segregate the ballots that came in that were either postmarked late or that you couldn't see the postmark um, that were that should have been disqualified that but weren't. Do we even know whether or not those were counted and, God forbid, commingled? Or do we finally now, now that it's been weeks after the fact, do we have the evidence we need to, to with confidence, be able to say we can segregate those two batches and see if it changes the vote count? Well, that's great, Wendy. And as you astutely pointed out in an earlier segment, it's very difficult to comment on the state of the evidence until we have a full hearing and the evidence is presented in, for instance, a trial or a hearing on the merits. So it's difficult to comment on that. But I will say this, for a Supreme Court justice to entertain an emergency request to segregate ballots and to grant that request is one thing. But as Justice Alito had posited, to have an opinion of very harsh and direct words of that order saying it must be done, and it must be done because particularly this is a consequence of the judge or the court's orders in Pennsylvania, sings a different tune, in my opinion. And we will never know whether the troops on the ground, as we say, actually followed through with the orders of those in an ivory tower, (laughs) <laughs> but we would hope and pray that everyone would listen to what a judge's order is. So sometimes the damage is already done at the ground level and it can't be remedied. But you can bet your bottom dollar that violating a court's order, especially a Supreme Court justice's order, is contempt of court. And you know, Wendy, as a, as a wonderfully capable prosecutor, that if you have a contempt of court prosecution, boy, that's one of the easiest ones to prove in a court of law. So we can close our eyes, we can hope and pray people follow the law, but in reality, you know, when you have a brown egg and a white egg and you scramble them to make an omelet, you just can't figure out which part of that omelet comes from which egg. And that may be the situation we're in now, Wendy. It's kind of like commingling funds if you're a lawyer. It's the one thing you never want to do. Well, Vic, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, Where can people find out more about you? Do you have a website? Yes, the easiest way is Bajaj Defense, B-A-J-A-J, defense.com. And that's where I can be reached throughout the U.S. and in San Diego particularly. Great. Thank you so much, Vic, for joining the show. Um, And we want all our listeners to hold on because we are going to be discussing after the break some very relevant information that everybody cares about. That is the restrictions that we have to follow when we are enjoying our Thanksgiving meal tomorrow. So you don't want to miss this because it's something that refers to everything everybody will be doing, which is eating. Yes, we love that topic. So stick with us. You're listening to The Andrea K Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. I will be back in a flash. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E.
A.K., Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K. Show on The Answer San Diego. Good evening and welcome back to The Andrea K. Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend Andrea K. Well, I did say we were going to talk about eating on Thanksgiving, and we are. But where? That has been the dilemma that many San Diegans have faced. Because remember, we officially backslid back into the purple tier last week. So the governor had to pull the emergency brake to stop the record acceleration of COVID cases, which apparently was the fastest we've seen since the outbreak began. Now, many of us love the color purple, but it is not a good color in this context because the purple tier means the most restrictive tier. And just when we were getting ready and we were making our restaurant reservations and looking forward to getting together with friends and family, not just on Thanksgiving Day, but also today, the day before, isn't this the day we get together with friends that have come into town a day early and get to take them wherever we want to go and actually enjoy their company before we enjoy the company in somebody's home, usually for Thanksgiving? Well, not so fast, because the purple tier has restrictions that many people don't agree with, but that we are supposed to abide by, and most people do. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't think of creative ways to be socially distanced in our own homes. And that has gotten some attention around the nation, because we are pretty lucky in San Diego that we don't have any really radical rules. But in other parts of the country, there have been restrictions that have gone into effect that have even prohibited basically having more than 10 people in your own home. Um, And they have to be six feet apart. Everybody has to be masked. Now, how do you enforce that? That's another question. That's a pretty interesting question, by the way. Maybe it's a question, in fact, that I'll ask my next guest. Uh, my next guest, David Katz, he is a he was he was an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern California in the Reagan administration. Now, since leaving the government, he didn't leave the law. He's been a white collar defense attorney in Beverly Hills. Must be nice, David Katz. Welcome to the show. Be with you. You know, I was with you exactly a year ago, Wendy. And I remember uh, it was I on was- when I was hosting Kogo. Yes, and I was uh, in a, going from one flight to another so I could be with my <laughs> wife's family in the Midwest. Um, and it was such a delight to talk to you. And I thought I had a lot of problems then dealing with the airport and the crowds <laughs> and trying to find a place that was quiet enough to talk. Boy, wouldn't we all love to have those problems right now and not be in the middle of this public health crisis? I do Isn't think that the truth? We're going to have a Thanksgiving to remember next year, aren't we? Oh, isn't that the truth, David? You know, uh, one of the um, motivational speeches I've been giving over the last couple of months is called the bonding power of social distancing. And it has to do with how being forced to stay apart has brought us closer together. Because we've never been told before that we couldn't go out, we couldn't socialize, we had to socially distance. And it has really made us crave company, even the company of strangers, you know, that collective effervescence, the excitement and energy we get from being in a crowd, even if it's a sporting event, we don't even know necessarily know everybody else we took all that for granted in fact your airport example i'll even say that because like you i lived out of a suitcase for the last two decades and there's just energy and excitement traveling and going new places and meeting new people we didn't recognize how good we had it until the last seven months did we 
Well, that, that's so true, but I think people should hang on and be a little patient because hope really is uh, in sight. Um, I think, obviously, we need to do something to get some income into the hands of people who desperately need it. I was hoping that Congress could work together, you know, in some kind of a lame duck session, but <laughs> both of them moving in the right direction to get some relief out there. That, that hits me as a major economic aspect of this, but from the health point of view, I think we're going to have a Thanksgiving to remember, and it's not going to be that far away. But unfortunately, it's not going to be this one because of all the health restrictions. They say only about half as many people are going on airplanes as they were. And if it were after Fauci and the other health experts, it would be even less than that because it is dangerous to, to people's health that they're going to spread it. Oh, that's so true. You know, this morning I did a segment on hazard pay and how there are many people that work at places like Costco or Walmart or PetSmart are arguing that if they do a shift over the holidays, they deserve hazard pay. Because, yes, it's true. By the way, they did get hazard pay at the beginning of the pandemic. But, yes, it's true that nowadays, you know, all of those stores, we know what they look like. Everybody is masked and gloved and socially distanced and sanitized and everything is plexiglass. It's, a, you know, very much in, in vogue to be very COVID friendly in terms of of the precautions that everybody has taken. But these poor store owners are saying, look, COVID is spreading in record numbers be because of personal responsibility, not professional irresponsibility. In other words, people are not taking the precautions they should be outside of the retailers. And then, God forbid, bringing COVID inside, they should be paid a lot more than they are. That's the argument they're making because they already want to work on holidays. Some of them get time and a half. I mean, it's, it's a coveted time to get a shift if you can but they think they should get paid a little more. I wonder, David, if, if some of that is going on at the airports. But let's talk about that in general, because these social restrictions, don't they always seem to get ramped back up right before a holiday? I mean, here we are in San Diego. I know you in L.A., you, I think your restrictions might be even worse than ours, because if I'm not mistaken, didn't you just close indoor dining completely? Yes, ours are stricter. And, you know, this whole debate some of these places have spent $25,000 to get their outdoor facilities, um, you know, capable of dining. Um, the people are dining outdoors. We have good weather, generally speaking, like you do in the San Diego area. Um, and so this seemed like an ideal solution. So there's been an awful lot of pushback about closing outdoor dining. Uh, indoor dining is is going to be closed, but both are going to be closed, even if you have the outdoor facilities to accommodate people. And, of course, there's a lot of pushback about that. And, you know, what these owners of bars and restaurants and outdoor dining say is that the average person who's not taking proper precautions is making more of a problem than their bar and restaurants are, especially the people who are sitting outside or who are so socially distanced inside. But how do you enforce restrictions on ordinary people? That is, of course, very, very sensitive. You and I have both been in law enforcement. You know, people don't like to be told what to do. And when we were prosecutors, we thought sometimes we were enacting things for their own good. But even things for people's own good, there's sometimes pushback. There's a I have my personal liberty argument. There's I don't like government surveillance. I don't like people 
tattling or snitching on me. And yet sometimes <laughs> how do you enforce things otherwise? You know, I was, you read my mind. I was just about to go there. You know, uh, my producer and I both believe our freedoms come from God, you know, not from the state. And many people are, are like-minded. They don't want this government telling them what to do. And, but the key is enough people need to believe the same thing. And that's not necessarily also true. If we had more time, I'd go way farther into this because I don't know if you saw the news this week, Qantas Airlines um, it was actually instituting uh, a vaccination passport that they would require to have somebody fly. In other words, when a vaccination is available, you have to prove that you have, you've got it. And you know what that means? Us as lawyers, we hate slippery slopes. We think, you know, what's next? That's just a slide down to the microchip that we always joke that everybody's going to have implanted in 10, 20 years from now. Um, we're going to continue talking about this on the other side of the break. But one thing I kind of wanted to queue up, and you just brought it up as well, is there are some parts of the country, you know, we think we have a bad here in San Diego, but where state and city officials are actually telling neighbors to snitch on each other. You just said we, that's not something that we do. but And that's not something anybody does anywhere. But that is something that's being promoted in certain parts of the country as the only way to stop the spread of COVID. We have to believe there's a better way than that. I mean, it seems like education really has been the goal of a lot of these restrictions, even here in California. When, when Governor Newsom first instituted the, the curfews and the bans and the stay-at-home orders, even way back in March, he was the first one to say, we want people to do the right thing and socially police, air quotes. Um, so anyway, I would like to ask you on the other side of the break if you think that we're actually capable of doing that. So, hey, stick with us. We're going to continue talking about some very interesting things that apply to you and your Thanksgiving meal tomorrow. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I'm filling in for my good friend, AK. I will be back in just a minute. Stick with us. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend AK, and I am joined with by one of my colleagues in the criminal law in from the Beverly Hills area, David Katz. David and I have been talking about these prohibitions, restrictions, whatever you want to call them, all across the nation. David, I got a good one for you. So today in Pennsylvania, uh, the governor has halted alcohol sales from 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, to 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. So that's 15 hours total. Now, you would think, gosh, you know, it's just in bars and restaurants. It's not, you know, stores can still sell. Let's not get too crazy here. But people really made a fuss about this. They, and it wasn't that they couldn't go without a drink at a bar or restaurant for 15 hours. Uh, but it was the principle behind it, David. It was the idea that the government would instill a temporary prohibition if you will, due to the desire, heartfelt desire, no doubt, to spread to, to prevent the spread of COVID. Now, I don't know how some of these restrictions are rationalized, because you can imagine if you say curfew at 10 o'clock, does that mean the virus is more virulent after 10? Or do they just think by 10 o'clock people may have consumed too much alcohol and they won't have the kind of judgment they might have at three o'clock? I don't know the rationale. I'm sure it's a mix of everything. But this is a slippery slope, No. 
Well, it, it's easy to satirize, you know, a particular regulation here or a law there. But, you know, the other side of it is that we do have an unprecedented, you know, once-in-a-century public health crisis. And, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to defer a little bit to the judgment of officials. Now, I know some people don't like this official. They don't like that regulation. But like that example with the bars and the restaurants and the the dine-in and the dine-out that's all being prohibited in Los Angeles area and maybe coming down there. They're going to put a lot of people out of work, right? A lot of people who really need the job. And, uh, you know, if, if, as I say, we ought to try to bail these people out temporarily for a while. I think that's in everyone's interest, right, uh, Wendy, so that these places will be open. It's good for everybody. Everyone of all political stripes can agree with that. It keeps the businesses open. It keeps the workers working. Um, but, you know, we have to tighten our belts a little bit during this particularly bad period, and more so back east because they have to do more things indoor. You know, we can That's do a exactly lot of right. Sanity. We could do a lot of things for our sanity in L.A. and San Diego, but these really cold places, um, you know, it, it, it's hard for them to make it through. And, you know, we've seen some other things in New York. They just had a service with 7,000 people attending, and they did everything to try to hide it. And the Brooklyn Synagogue the wedding. You know, you boy, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, right. so the Brooklyn Synagogue wedding, let me say... How can you allow that? that I mean, everyone believes in religious liberty, but how can you allow that? A, a covert, kept secret, 7,000-person service. And it's not what religion, it's not anything. Everyone should be allowed to worship. But here we can do it more outdoors. You know, I go by a famous uh, church here in Pasadena, and they have the service outdoors, and it's beautiful. They really can't do that in Brooklyn or Philadelphia or these other places, and they need to... We need to have an accommodation of religious liberty, of commercial uh, activity, uh, but also get through this once in a hundred years pandemic, right? That's the hard <laughs> balance. No, that's true. And, you know, you brought up a, a couple of really good points I want to follow up on. So if I were to argue the other side of the Pennsylvania governor's order, because we love doing that as lawyers, right? There's two sides to every story. If I had to argue his side of it, I'd say the following. I would say, first of all, my, my folks are from Pittsburgh. I spent almost every summer there growing up. I'm well aware that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is when everybody likes to go out to the bars and restaurants. So those are different. And like you said, it's cold. People will be inside. They'll be drinking. So they'll be maskless. They'll be right up next to each other, speaking loud breathing the same air for long periods of time. That would be the argument I would make. Now, let's go to the Brooklyn synagogue that was filed, that was fined $15,000 for having, as you say, a clandestine wedding. Now, I heard that that synagogue held 7,000 people. I would be very impressed if they had that many, but I did hear that they had quite a lot of people there. And it was billed as both a crime and a cover-up. Now, I use crime, and again, let's bring back the air quotes, because this is a regulation that was violated. They were not allowed to have large public gatherings. But let's take those two sort of as points on a spectrum. And now let me add in a case that I was also following from New Jersey, where you had a New Jersey police chief say, hey, I am not going to be enforcing this rule that says you can only have 10 people at a social gathering in your home. But if it's a political event, a funeral, a uh, some type of um, social or religious event, it can be up to 150. So some of my colleagues out there said, well, we're going to hold a funeral for the turkey that we killed to eat tomorrow and we're going to raise the cap from 10 to 150 i think that's out of the box thinking but the police chief basically took to the airwaves and told fox and friends i do not intend 
to enforce this particular law. My agency here in New Jersey, our resources are such, these, I'm sort of paraphrasing the, the sentiment he expressed, our resources don't permit that. We're not even sure how we would enforce figuring out how many people are gathering within each house and if they're six feet away from each other. I mean, is, is there a happy medium we can agree on would be acceptable or is it jurisdiction by jurisdiction depending on what kind of an outbreak they have there? Well, you mentioned that I was an assistant United States attorney in the Reagan administration. The Reagan administration had the philosophy of getting government off your back. And as you say, right. Um, right? And, and so I completely get it. I'm for it. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I feel like a lot of times they're making a mountain out of a molehill with my clients, right? At the same time, all that I'm saying is that this is a once in our lifetime thing. It's a once in a century thing. I do think that we have to have a little bit more elastic rules and defer to uh, officials' pronouncements. I know sometimes it's very, very frustrating, but you take this situation, Wendy, to bring it home. My mom is 89 years old, lives in her own apartment still in New York City with an aide. You know, when 7,000 people, and they have a video of this, apparently there really were 7,000 people at this clandestine Wow. Now, if those people are going to spread. They, they were maskless. You could see it in the video. Those people are going to spread. So, yes, nobody wants, at least I don't want to have any enforcement of someone who has 15 people in their home. I mean, that hits me as really, uh, you know, over, overdoing it. But at the same time, um, I think there is this feeling of, you know, my liberty. I want the government off my back. And I get it. I get it. For the last 99 years, from 1918 to 2020, I get it. This particular <laughs> year, this particular year, this particular pandemic, it's just so contagious. That's what makes the difference. It's asymptomatic and it's contagious. So I think that the people who are taking heed of, of the danger are being very, very smart. And it doesn't change the people who are libertarian. It doesn't change their philosophy. It doesn't change the idea that usually less government is more. You know, we tolerate these cameras. You can get a ticket three weeks later from a camera. Talk about surveillance state, right? People complain about the surveillance state. How about all these cameras we have up all over the state of California? Talk about an infringement on your liberty. And then you try to fight it. Three weeks later, there's some fuzzy uh, camera. But the point is, it's surveillance. It's undue surveillance. It's undue intrusion in our lives. And what's the back? So Beverly Hills can make a little bit more money. But you know the other yeah. side of this equation, Wendy, is a huge public health crisis and a contagious disease. Yeah, no, David, that's all That's all very well said. And I, I want to thank you so much for, for joining us to, to share your wisdom today. Um, you know, I think our, our hearts and our hearts go out to everybody that's been impacted by COVID, whether it is um, suffering from depression or anxiety or financial loss or emotional distress, whatever it is, or God forbid you yourself have contracted it or lost a loved one. You know, there are just so many negatives. There, I suppose the silver lining is that it has brought us closer together in many respects. And really some of what you point out, it's really sort of made us rethink how can we give back to those less fortunate than us that have been impacted and isn't that what thanksgiving is all about perhaps not focusing so much on what we're missing this year but on what we have so i suppose i'm going to end with that i always want to end with a high note um so let me thank you thank our listeners and wish everybody a happy thanksgiving god bless all of you you're listening to the andrea k show i'm wendy patrick and it has been my pleasure to fill in for my good friend andrea k Have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving.